Hello and welcome to the Weishi Radio Show on 91.8 Hayes FM live radio and podcast. My name is Nicola Chan. My motto is, if you think you are the only one, then listen to someone's story. Someone has already had that problem and found a solution. There is comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Each week I bring you a special guest who by sharing their experiences will help you to put down your own disempowering stories and feel inspired to live the life that you deserve. Today we're talking about gambling addiction so I invited Chris, an ex-gambler who has been gambling free for 10 years and wants to share how he recovered. So in order to create this show I wanted to do some research into gambling, the history, how it all started and why it's becoming such a problem in today's world with more than 6 million Britons not believing that they will ever be debt free. Gambling seems like an attractive choice. I was also quite shocked at the similarities the gambling industry has with the diet industry. If you haven't listened to my show before, you may not be aware that I have previously talked a lot about eating disorders and body image because that is my own story and my reason for wanting to start this show and help others. As a fitness professional, I'm in the fitness industry but passionate about having a different voice to the normal everybody goes to a PT to lose weight. So having recorded this last night, it really got me thinking about my own recovery from an eating disorder as we discussed being in recovery forever and Chris has told me off air before that he will continue to go to groups indefinitely. Initially I was shocked by this because I thought once recovered we could all just go back to being normal, whatever that means. But I now believe that we are better than normal and our adversities make us better people. So for many of us it's how we became aware we became more spiritually enlightened and how we managed to change ourselves and start giving back to others, i.e. the path that we were meant to be on. So no longer do we have a poor me story, but an empowering one. So, gambling started as early as the 200 BC with the white pigeon ticket game was played in gambling houses of China with the permission of the province governor who received a percentage of the profits and the winnings were often used to fund state works. Even Harvard and Yale universities were both initially funded by using lottery money which they continue to use today. It is believed that playing cards first appeared in China in the 9th century. The first casinos or gambling houses appeared in Italy in the 17th century. The first video slots were invented in 1976 which paved the way for the online video slots that followed and the first online casino was in 1994. With technological advances, more and more people are using handheld devices on the move and so gambling is becoming more and more accessible and attractive. And there is also blockchain technology and cryptocurrency making gambling even faster and more appealing to new and younger targets. So the future of gambling is pretty scary. I asked Chris what he thinks about this and the reasons that he was willing to take part in an interview to help others. I don't really have a specific reason uh speaking about gambling addiction or any forms of addiction uh i merely almost a duty really um as someone who is in a process of recovery to be able to help others um quite honestly there's there's not enough people globally that talk about this topic uh, ours as a as a Western society is completely wrapped with um, this topic of addiction. Uh, it's a blight, um, and yet in in so many forms, it's very unpublicised. And how would it have helped you if someone else had shared their story with you when you really needed it? Uh, I would answer, I'd answer that by asking you a question. I would say, are you referring to when I was still gambling or are you referring to when I'd stopped gambling? I guess when gambling was a problem for you, so you were still gambling. So when I was still gambling, to be quite honest, I would not have given a monkeys. It would have been irrelevant. Um, because in a sense, you can only really help another person who who actually has a desire to stop gambling, which is why people, you know, go to recovery groups or they seek help from a counsellor or a psychotherapist or, uh, you know, their friend next door, anything. Um, at that point, 
I think that you know words can can ring true to people and and while if speaking to someone who's in the in, in the living the daily life of an addict you are trying to help them you know parts of what you say will pierce their consciousness and 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 snippets of that information will filter through to their subconscious but it, it really will be minimal um because they're 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 just not in a place where they want to actually stop if that makes sense so in in as such they um they're they're gonna hear you but they're not gonna listen basically so to be honest i don't think that any amount of of talking from anybody when i was still gambling would have really done any good um i did the most amount of listening when i stopped who would you be hoping to help with your story now uh, well ideally we you know I, I i operate within you know a program of recovery that that asks us to help the addict who is still suffering um but that could be anybody that i would meet on a weekly basis just at um an, a anonymous meeting for example um it could be someone who is perhaps sat at home right now and has had an had a gamble for this day and they're not in a process of recovery but they might be able to hear someone else who's actually been through that you know in a sense i <laughs> to be honest if you're asking me who i'd want to help i'd be quite happy to help anyone <laughs> does that make sense yeah so thinking about gambling, obviously before you came on air, I, I spoke about the history of gambling and how it's changed and the future of gambling. Can you just explain what is gambling and what is gambling to you? Um, well, I take that topic quite seriously. I take it, you know, right the way down to if you or I were to go for coffee and you would suggest, oh, I'll pass and then I'd say no I'll pay and then you'd say okay I'll tell you what let's flip a coin for it uh, I would actually classify that as gambling uh, that's a fairly rigid view that I've had <clears throat> ever since I decided to stop um, gambling for me is as simple as that in a sense it is the gain of something um, when you essentially didn't have that thing in the first place now, I mean, if you want to dissect that topic, you could you could break that down to almost daily life. Um, but in 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 the way that I operate my life, that's that's the level that I'll take it at. So yes, I view things like the lottery as gambling. Uh, the lottery is an interesting one. Some people don't view it as gambling because the chances of winning are so remote. That's quite ironic, really, when you think about it so that they are willing to spend money on something even though they know they're not going to win and it's therefore not viewed as gambling it's quite strange it's quite a strange theology but i have heard people say that um what is gambling and how do you classify what is gambling and what isn't considering we have so many things in our everyday lives where we take risks and chances um i think that I mean that's a very loaded question and it's it's difficult to to answer it exactly um but i would say you know for the most part of western society gambling is something where we are laying down an amount of something to further gain a larger amount of something at the end of it um and that could be anything involving the turn of a car fine, so on and so forth um, it's obviously got many connotations, but for the most part and in layman's terms, it is a transaction where one is attempting to gain something of far greater financial value than what they already have in their hand. Okay, so it is about money. Um, I would say in the, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, for, for the most part, gambling is, is a financial... It's a financial transaction, if you will.
And how can you spot the signs of gambling addiction? Um, that's very difficult. <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think the forms, the forms of, I mean, addiction comes in many forms. And, and with those forms, there are often, um, you know, quite significant physical um, sort of defects within a person, which could lead one to believe that there, there could be a problem, you know, underneath the sample with, um, or let's take alcoholism, for example, um, a telltale sign of, of heavy drinking is, and kind of a, a a greater appearance of blood vessels on the face and nose, for example. That's very common. Um, there's, with, say, drug addiction, um, again, the physical symptoms of drug addiction or drug withdrawal, because person hasn't had a fix that day, are extremely, you know, visible to to anyone even who hasn't got a, a knowledge of addiction or a knowledge of those symptoms they still could look at someone and say well there's something not quite right there um with gambling gambling is an interesting one because it quite often the extent doesn't look that different the addiction itself doesn't have any in the, in the early stages, you know, for, for many, many years as well, for some never, um, doesn't have significant physical signs or symptoms. That's not to say there's not a physical, you know, a physical problem going on because, you know, in the person's mind, psychologically, their, their head is completely awash with addiction, just like, um, any other form of addict it's just that you can't see a physical reaction to what it is that they're putting in a body because they're not actually putting anything in um but they are putting things in in terms of the stimulus and getting the same dopamine response that you would do from the other drugs um well yes to some degree but there obviously there's chemicals within various drugs that people take there's you know chemicals with alcohol that actually can change how your body actually looks that's kind of what i was referring to mm -hmm. um so like for example if you were to look up now the prolonged side effects to your body of heroin use for example the prolonged side effects to your body of alcohol abuse these are the symptoms i'm talking about being actually visible to a person um, you aren't going to get that with gambling. More often than not, what you'll find is people who look um, well, very tired, very irritable, slightly gaunt in their expression, uh, withdrawn psychologically from conversation. It's very difficult to spot. It could be any number of actual problems going on before you could actually track down to it being gambling. Again, problems with finance are very easy to hide, especially in this day and age. And many addicts find that the deeper into their, the better they become at covering their tracks, so to speak, in terms of hiding the addiction from others and loved ones. Um, so, so it's for someone who is who is a gambling addict. It's very difficult. So what are the similarities with addiction as the whole then? Uh, how do you mean? Like what is addiction? What makes us addicted to something? What is addiction? Wow, say... I mean, some people say that addiction is a disease like for example alcoholism is a disease and something that you are born with and why is it that some people can drink a few glasses of wine and other people can't stop and it turns into an addiction why is it some people can play casino on a trip to Vegas and then put it down and never do it again and for other people it becomes an addiction 
I think that, I mean, that's probably one of the most debated questions on addiction, I would say. Um, I can only really speak, you know, personal opinion on the matter. Um, my personal theory there is that people, um, I don't think it's got anything to do with being hereditary. There's a school of thought that dictates that addiction is hereditary. Um, I, I don't believe that. Um, what I do think is that a person growing up can become more susceptible to the enticement of a substance that could become addictive depending on what life circumstances they've been, you know, made to grow up in, for example. Um, the caveat there, obviously, is that as human beings capable of becoming completely addicted to or completely not addicted to, we are, in actual fact, able to become completely addicted to almost anything. It doesn't actually have to be, you know, one of the few big topics that people speak about, alcohol, drugs, nicotine, gambling, sex. It doesn't just have to be those topics. It theoretically could be anything. Um, it's obviously the doing of that action is creating a stimulus in your mind, which is changing your state to a, to a different state. And it's a state that you're hoping to attain because that state is not your current reality. It's that attempt at escaping reality uh, and escapism, if you will, that I think it, I feel is a common theme amongst all addicts. Um, and you do find addicts who will put down one addiction, but then quite quickly, in actual fact, pick up another. So they're no longer addicted to the one, or they're no longer like habitually taking the one thing they were taking. They've stopped that but they haven't actually altered their thought process or their mind state. They then go to look to change their state again. They don't use the product they're originally using. They then use something else and the problem still lies. So quite often the substance being abused, be it alcohol, gambling, sex, drugs, so on and so forth. The substance used is very often just the tip of the iceberg. I really hate that expression. Just for the record, is the very the very you know the outer coating of the actual problem the problem lies within the individual um i really just think that is just down to circumstance they perhaps have a slightly more receptive mind to to substance abuse if there is such a thing they perhaps um, have a very tough upbringing which leads them down a path um I do think there's something in the fact that if you do have parents um, who drink or abuse drugs or any of these or have these addictive character personalities, you know, addictive personality traits going on, not that you will be given those genes complete rubbish, but I think you will pick up on that behavior is what I'm getting at. Um, you certainly would be able to notice the behavioral father or mother, for example, I don't see how that could not have any impact on someone growing up in as such that they then would not end up drinking or substance abusing in later life. Um, but I think that's a heavily, it's certainly a heavily debated and heavily researched question that you've asked. Um, I, I, like I said, I do not have a direct answer to that. I merely have an opinion. I'm not a doctor. Uh, or I have certainly haven't studied that topic for years on end, but all I can really just speak from is just people that I've met. Um, and I really did believe previously when I first started a journey of recovery that it was something that was like, you know, my great grandmother was a gambler. Therefore, you know, Hey, it skipped a couple of generations and I ended up a gambler, which is really just a cop out. Um, it was me not willing fact that I was the one that did the addiction. I was the point where the problem lied. It was far easier to kind of go, ah, you know, it's a couple of generations back, I had a gambling great-grandmother, so that's why I'm an addict. 
it's far, far easier to say that. Do you believe that? Um, that to attach that label. Do you believe Sorry, that do addiction what? is a disease or that it is within your control? Like you're saying, like it was you who did it. Like there's nobody to blame but yourself. Um. Well, I mean, I. <laughs> Another great question. I um, it is to some extent a, a disease, um, but I think people's view of the word disease is something that's not curable, and that's that's not true. There's many diseases that exist nowadays that are curable, well, or if not one. curable, treatable. Because I believe that with um, disease, we do think that we have. GPs and medicine and traditional ways of dealing with them would be to take a pill and obviously that's the difference with things like addiction where there isn't actually the help and where I've done the research on this topic before talking to you there is actually like only one um, place recovery place in London for gamblers other than your 12-step program so there's only one compared to if you actually had a disease that people were aware of like cancer you could go to any GP anywhere and you could get medicine pills whatever well, there's, I mean, there's many, there's probably many reasons for that. I, I don't think, and like I said, just to reiterate something I just said, I don't feel that, um, you know, addiction is per se curable. Um, anybody who's listening to this that is, is looking to get help that thinks that someone is going to be able to give them that pill or wave that magic wand and, and make all this go away forever is you know, unfortunately mistaken, that's not going to be the case. My personal opinion is that um, you live with these afflictions for life. It's merely how you deal with them that dictate your level of recovery and therefore to what level you've, you know, ridded yourself of a disease. Now, I would say that... Um, just going back to what you said about places to go to get help versus if you had a cold and you went to the doctor. Um, there's many reasons why I think um, there's less help for addiction-based work. Um, some of those reasons I, I don't even feel like I could particularly, particularly, sorry, excuse me, I can't get my words out this evening. Um, some of those reasons I don't feel are, um, you know, particularly just and particularly correct. But it's also, uh, I mean, one huge thing is that the difficulty to find qualified um, physicians willing to spend the time to study these particular addictions and then try and give a psychological treatment to the public because that's actually what you're treating. And I think it's actually probably far easier to develop a cure for a common cold or for, you know, um, something to help diabetes, for example, than it would be to delve deep into the psyches of people to work out why or why not they become addicts and some do and some don't and so on and so forth. Um, that's just the way I think medicine has progressed. I don't think there really is a specific reason as to why we, we don't have mountains of uh, mountains of help for people in addiction i can say that if you are afflicted by one form of addiction or another depending on what you are what is your poison if you'll pardon the expression there is more help for certain topics if that makes sense so there's a lot of outward help for alcoholism there's a lot of outward help for drug abuse there's less for different forms of addiction. And I think that's just where medicine is just progressing. And these things haven't caught up to, to be a kind of a, an industry based sort of standard, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think that's because there's stigma with gambling addiction? Uh, what sort of stigma? Um, I guess you would know more than, than I would on that. Do you feel like there is a stigma attached to gambling addiction? 
Mm, nein. But it's, it's yeah. <laughs> do you mean for me or for the general public? Because general I speak public. very openly about what I've been through and I speak very openly about um, my personal recovery and my personal opinions surrounding that topic. So for me, there is no stigmatism at all. Okay. Um, for Joe Public, yeah, quite possibly. But I couldn't possibly comment. It's just the statistics are are really bad. Like, I, when I was looking up earlier, like the NHS are saying that like six hundred thousand people in Britain are problem gamblers. Only five percent of them seek help for their addiction. Only one percent get treatment. That is a very small number of people actually getting treatment and having recovery. And I wonder if there was stigma around it that people were not seeking help. So maybe there's more people and they're just not getting the treatment. That's highly possible. Um, it, I, I, that statistic. Um, well, it's actually quite frightening, that kind of... So you said 600,000 people with gambling addictions. I mean, that's only the ones you know about as well. Um, yeah. I think... I don't think there's so much a stigmatism attached to it. I think it's more the fact it, addiction in general, people can just go so far down the line before even really realizing they have a problem. Um, that in actual fact, they just, they just don't know. And, you know, to some people that may seem completely absurd to, to know someone who is, you know, not at work, when they should be in the bookies or the casino or where the arcade, wherever it may be from morning till night, constantly chasing a loss or chasing a win or a vice versa to go home to speak about gambling obsessively to then watch horse racing on TV, to go to bed for a few hours, to get back up again and repeat the same process. Some people might say like, you know, it's very obvious that person's got a problem. Well, to the outside world, yes, it is. To the person, the individual doing it, I can say with experience, it's not that obvious at all because it becomes a normality. And I remember <clears throat> recounting many things where I said, well, I wouldn't do such and such because if I did a such and such thing, for example, stole from my own family... If I was to do that, that would be me having a re you know, that would be me. I'd be a really bad addict if I was doing that. But then as time progresses and as the illness becomes stronger and stronger and it becomes more and more ingrained within your psyche, you find yourself then stealing from your parents, but then actively justifying the act afterwards. Oh, well, it's only X amount of pounds. Oh, well, I will put it back later this evening and the user at that time is not evil they probably have every good intention of doing that it's just that's not the way it's going to pan out so i think you know progressive in its nature the point i'm making is that i don't feel that a lot of addicts even realize they have the problem in the first place and how did you realize that you had a problem uh well I gambled from for only five, I was it was quite a roller coaster for me. It was five just five years that I was gambling for from just under the age of eighteen to about the age of twenty three. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, and it had completely in, engulfed my my entire life, morning, noon, and night. Um, when I first realised I had a problem. I think was when I went to my my mum had actually asked me to go and see a, a psychotherapist because she knew how much sort of trouble I was in, and I remembered that at the time I'd recently been doing quite a lot of online gambling, um, which started in the in the latter last year of my gambling actually, and I'd won a obscene amount of money, and I remember thinking, how can I possibly go and see someone about a gambling problem when I've got so much money. 
now the truth of the matter was I didn't actually have very much money at all. Um, this this was me counting merely what was in the balance on the computer screen. It was not counting the credit card loans, the sorry, the credit cards, the loans, the overdraft debt. You know, every bill that had not been paid. It wasn't counting those. It was just counting what was in front of me. And I then went and deliberately actually lost half that money um, just to make myself feel sad so I could then go and see a psychotherapist to see if I could talk about it. And still at that stage, I actually couldn't. And I think it was about another six months or so later, and I remember I'd been out gambling alone at a, a motorway service station I often went to, and I and I went to drive back home. I was coming through Stanmore, um, and there was a roundabout there. And if I was to go to the right, I went towards Watford Gateway service station. And if I were to go left, I'd go back through kind of um, sort of hatch end and head towards home. And I remember driving my car around this roundabout three, four, five, six, seven, kept on counting times, eight times, nine times, ten times. And I just could not make my car go home. It just would, it just would not go. Um... It was actually at that point, that night, I realised that I actually had a significant problem. Um, but I went to London Gateway Services to carry on gambling anyway. And I remember being there until there was nothing left. And finally, for the first time, actually, in all the years of gambling, every single card I had said no. There was there was no more money to be had from anywhere. Um and then I proceeded to uh, try and crash my car um, down the A1M on the way home. And I had an active desire at the age of 23 to, to be dead. I didn't have any reason to, uh, I didn't have any reason to, to live as far as I could see. Um, there's more depth to that story and it's, there's a, a far greater buildup and a far, uh, a far greater continuation at the end that I'm not going to go into for the fact that we are before the watershed <laughs> on local radio. Um, but there is much more to be said on that topic, but uh, the salient facts with that, that actually at that point, I, I didn't actually admit this is the most important thing. I didn't actually admit that I had a gambling problem and that I was an addict. That came some months later. What I actually thought was, okay, I think I've just got a really simple choice now. It feels like if I gamble again, I'm going to actually die. And I truly believed it because I'd, I'd actually actively tried to, to do that some hours previously. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to have to not do it. And a week later, I found myself um, at a recovery group, um, which names always remain out of the press and radio. Um, but the help is out there. You've only got to Google help with gambling addiction and you'll find the help you need. Um, I, I sort of went to that group and I haven't looked back since really. That was some uh, coming up for 11 years ago now. So can I ask what was going through your mind? Because before you tell us the story about going around the roundabout, you said um, the reason how you realised you had a gambling addiction was because your mum had asked you to see a psychotherapist and at the time you didn't feel that you had a problem because you were in the up, because you had money. Um, and the time that you felt like death and you felt like ending your own life, you had no money. Do you feel like it was a money thing that contributed to your feelings of up and down? And what was going through your mind? Uh, good question. Yes, I think with, with gambling, it was at the surface level, from what I could see at the time during my addiction, 
I would say that yes, it was it was solely a financial issue. However, looking back, I'd say that's not the case. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Um, so the last thing you said is that's not the case. Is that right? Because it just went really quiet. Uh, yeah, that was that was what I said. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just interested to know because, for example, on that day that you were going round, round, round about, if you had had the money, do you think the outcome would have been different? Um. Well, I, I, that's the point. I, are you saying if I didn't have the money and I went home, is that what you're saying? Oh, no, I thought you said that you, you went back to gamble, but all of your cards and everything said no, like you were out of money. No, no, no. So I, I, I left the first service station actually up and I had money in my pocket. Um, and I then decided to carry on gambling at a different place. And then that day... After that, that sort of second gambling incident that day, that's when I lost everything in my pocket, lost everything in the bank, and eventually the bank cards just declined. Like there was nothing left at that point. So what was it from that point up until, you said a week later you then went to get help? How did you find that help? How did you then realise that? I need help with this from somebody else. I can't do this on my own. Um, I think there was a time, but there no longer is um, a helpline that I rang. Um, but I think it was probably a very simple internet search. If I'm being brutally honest, I can't actually remember how I came to find, find what I found. So what was your experience when you first went to get help? Um, I think it was quite a blinkered one. I don't think I was really expecting to hear anything useful. I didn't think I would actually, I think I was very much focused on the differences, not the similarities. And then that continued for quite some time, actually. But eventually, uh, like I said, nuggets of information kind of pierced the veil and I started to kind of a fog kind of lifted and in the in the first instance the main the most important thing to do is just not do the thing that you are addicted to so if it's alcohol you have you can't drink you just mustn't if it's drugs you just mustn't take them if it's gambling you just mustn't do it if you can just do that one thing all of the psychology around it and all of the deeper, more spiritual teachings behind some of these programs will then become more apparent. But you really can't get into those things until you have learned how just not to do the one thing you were doing or several things in some people's cases, if that makes sense. It's almost it's quite literally trying to run before you can walk. It seems like a bit of a catch-22, though, because... Obviously, you've got those problems, and that's why you're going there for help. And then to know that if I go there, I'm not going to be able to do that one thing that I need to do because I'm addicted to and I can't seem to stop myself. It's like a catch-22. And the only reason why I'm thinking that is I, I know, like, the Quit Smoking Alan Carr book. And during the book, you're allowed to smoke all the way through. And one of the comforts of reading that book is knowing that I can smoke throughout this. And whatever he says in the book, I'm going to stop smoking at the end. By then, I will want to, because right now, I don't want to. Well, I think, you know, that's that's all well and good for the Alan Carr book itself. Um, and it's a method that he's obviously written and it's been proven to work. And that's that's fantastic. I think the practicalities of doing something like that with another form of addict would be near impossible because the whole point of the Alan Carr book is it's self-help. But the, the thing you don't hear about with books like that is how many people 
didn't finish it and carried on smoking because it tells you, yes, you can smoke all the way through it, and that's a great comfort because it's, you know, it's basically saying you don't have to give up that one thing you don't want to give up. By the end of the book, you're going to want to. But I would ask how many people don't even finish the book, and that's the problem with with teachings like that. Again, only in my opinion, is that really for me, it's it's abstinence from day one. And if you do relapse, then it's abstinence from day one again. And so you continue until you get that to the point where it's each day you will not do X, Y, or Z. And so we continue. Um, and even still, you know, over I, well over 10 years in, I am still very much living everything day by day. So today, uh, Sunday, the whatever it happens to be of October, was a fantastic day because I didn't gamble. And and that's about it. Um, I honestly feel that if you gave me a book when I was just starting to not to try not to gamble and said, okay, it's it's fine, it's cool, you can gamble, just just read the book and it's okay, you can keep gambling, I probably would have carried on gambling and forgotten about the book completely. Truth be told. I'm just speaking for myself, but I think that's probably why there's not many of those forms of treatment around. So what would you say to somebody like yourself in order to um, positively impact them to go to a group to get recovery if they still don't believe they have a problem? Well, if they don't believe they haven't got a problem, there's no point in me addressing them whatsoever. Because if they don't believe they have a problem, they're not going to go anywhere and they're not going to get any help. Do you believe people I, find for, it on their own then? So you, you, somewhere inside of you, you then realise that you have a problem? Well, if they do realise they have a problem, then I would say to them, just look online for all of two or three seconds and type in gambling addiction and just read some of the information that comes up and look at the top hits there on Google and they will give you all the information you need. And what you need to be doing is getting yourself to an anonymous group into a program of recovery. It doesn't matter how you do that. That's all you need to do to get started. Uh, from there, you will meet all the people you need to meet to um, kind of help you carry on. What were the stages of recovery that you went through? Um, stages of recovery it's kind of an ever-evolving beast I think really um, as you discover greater things about yourself on different greater spiritual levels there seems to be many many levels of it the two that I would definitely react I would I would definitely sorry note notarize the most would probably be the first which was initial like denial that actually even though I was seeking help I didn't really have a problem and then kind of a dawning realization that was a really bad period of time because I really really realized just how much trouble I was actually in uh financially and and psychologically um and then I kind of think almost like a cloud nine like a honeymoon because there'd been a small amount of time where I hadn't gambled um I'd got used to the financial problems that I was stuck with. Um, I had admitted that I was an addict and I then kind of rode a cloud for a little while. And soon enough, that kind of returned to ground level and everything very much became normal life. So it became, in a sense, just as normal not to gamble as it did to gamble. In a very small nutshell, that would be my answer. So by that point, did you feel that you would never gamble again? Uh, no, I've never felt like that. Um, so 60% of gamblers suffer with depression and other mental illnesses. Do you believe that these things were there originally and the gambling was like an escape from them? Or do you believe the gambling brought these things on? I think it's probably a combination of the two. 
because uh, there's so many problems involving, you know, family members, money, the law that come along when you are an addict, that it's quite feasible that the, the pressure of all those things could quite easily make you quite depressed or anxious or both. Um, and equally, if you were anxious, miserable, all your other things, gambling, drinking, drugs would help to temporarily alleviate those pressures and, as I spoke about before, change your state to a point where you are no longer thinking about them temporarily. Sure as eggs is eggs, they're there for you when whatever it is you've taken passes. Um, so I think actually it's a combination of the two, in actual fact. Um, and earlier we spoke about gambling, whether it is or isn't genetic, um, whether it's to do with psychological factors and environment. But when you just mentioned those issues there, I'm thinking, well, that affects most of us, really. Most of us have problems with money at some point or other in time. Um, and if we feel like um, it's becoming a problem for us, we're getting in loads of debt, we may be suffering with depression, um, gambling could seem like an easy way out, couldn't it? I, I could just do this bet and I could win all the money and I could solve all of these problems. Do you think that something as um, simple as that could then turn it into an addiction without the environmental issues and all the other things we just spoke about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one, there's no set of rules. Um, you know, I, I've met many people who, who said kind of, you know, from the get go at an early age, they were hooked on the kind of the buzz, you know, the escapism of, of even a game at school of, you know, playing penny up the wall. Uh, you know, you throw a penny at the wall and try and get it as close to the wall as possible. Um, you know, even from that young age, they've been kind of just switched on to to a life within within addiction. Um, I, I definitely think, yeah, I definitely think that you know, environmental problems around us can can absolutely cause that as well, especially you know, within adulthood. Just, just you know, oh, you know, that, and that that commonality of that that quick. If I could just win this, you know, um, it's yeah, it's very enticing. It really, it really, really, truly is. And to be fair, if you were a person who was suffering greatly from financial difficulty, and you did do something like that, and you did uh, coin the phrase "get lucky" on that occasion. Um, then of course it would it would it would set off a uh, I'm sure I, uh, a neuroscientist could go into this deeper with you but I'm, I'm sure it would it would kind of develop some kind of neuro pathway that would say hang on a minute a risk equals financial reward do it again I'm sure there might I mean there's probably a, a much more you know, eloquent way of putting it but yes I, I absolutely agree with you. Because it actually is true, it's, it's the neurotransmitters of the brain, isn't it? And that they give us dopamine and norepinephrine. And obviously, those are like the reward centres. So we And we get hooked on those because it creates habit on purpose so that we keep doing the thing that gives us success and makes us happy. But there is also something within the cycle where the reward goes away, but the habit is still so strong that you still seek it, even though you're not then getting the reward anymore. Yeah, agreed. Why do you think it, gambling in particular affects men more than women? Um, is that true? Statistically so, unless it's just a case of who's getting the help and who isn't. Um, I would love to know what the, the statistic on that actually is. Um, I can say from my experience, I've met more male gambling addicts than I have female. But I've also been to other places of recovery for different forms of addiction and have met equal amounts of men and women. Um, there certainly has been an increase in the number of women gamblers, which I think would be an interesting statistic to find out for your listeners with the sort of rise in the last sort of three years or so of 
games like Bingo online, for example. Um, and if you look at the advertising, the the daytime TV advertising in particular that then has gambling addicts tailored for both men and women. So they'll be tailoring uh, the various different gambling institutions, which I wouldn't even give the time of day to, to mention names of on air. Um, would they are angling adverts at both, yes, at both men and women, um, obviously trying to capture a, a wider market. Um, I think a society based thing would be that typically speaking, in you know, go back some 40, 50, 60 years, you wouldn't see a woman in a bookmaker, that wouldn't be a common thing to see. Um, I think it for it, that's just a pure example, but I, I think, and it's and it is true. I think that it's possibly an old hangover of a society-based thing on on the way that um, men and women would do things differently, that gambling was perhaps um, more of a male-dominated industry, which obviously in, in years past has changed and obviously... Uh, being a person who's pro equality, I think that's great. I, I also, but I also think at the same time it's also, you know, god awful because really we don't want any more people involved in gambling. It's already, you know, rife. Um, I don't think we need any more gambling addicts at all. But certainly, I, I've noticed on on television at least the the significant rise in adverts that are definitely being tailored towards the female market. Um, to encourage them to gamble as well. Yeah, um, I was going to ask I'd, you about I'd that. Love for you, I'd love for you to contact me with the statistics that you find on that, because I think that's a fascinating topic. I was going to ask you about that, how you feel about all of the adverts, because there is so many, um, and I have to say, like before I was researching this topic, I, I watched some TV and I just don't even notice, because it's something that wouldn't even cross my radar. And obviously where I've been thinking about it, I'm aware of it now and I'm like very shocked at the amount of adverts that there are. Um, to be honest, uh, if I, I am no longer a person who is governed by what the TV pumps into my brain and I'm very aware of the marketing industry and the tricks that they play on the common, on the uh, general public to to make them buy their product because ultimately then day that's all you're doing you're buying a product when you gamble. Um, quite honestly, I would say, you know, there's lots of adverts on TV for Ford Fiestas, but I don't have a garage full of them. Um, what I'm saying in a sense is that you can see the adverts, you just don't have to act on the impulse to go and buy it or do it. Um, I do find it slightly infuriating in some respects. and I, I used to be very bent out of shape about it. I'm not anymore because it was actually affecting my mindset and I, I wouldn't want it to affect my mindset in any way, shape or form for one second of a day, um, let alone the duration of a whole advert. And I did used to get quite irate about that topic, but in actual fact, it's it's just irrelevant. It's... It isn't right, it is sick and it is evil, but there is actually nothing that can be done about it. So the best choice for an individual is purely just to ignore it, change the channel, or in actual fact, when the adverts are coming on, we know they're every 15 minutes, just turn the TV on. It's quite simple. You don't have to sit there and be subjected to that. Do you feel like your opinion on that, though, is because you've come so far and it's been a long time since you gambled, was it back in the day something that may have triggered you? Um, no, quite honestly, I didn't need any triggering. I was permanently triggered, if that makes sense. I was gambling for every, pretty much every minute of the day that I was awake for, I was I was gambling. So I, I didn't actually need any triggers. What would be the kind of things that would trigger someone then? So if you'd started the process of recovery, what would be the kind of things that then trigger you to relapse? It could be absolutely anything. It could be a financial problem, a large stress. It could be a family problem. It could be just quite literally you just say, oh, uh, whatever, who cares, and just go and do it. It could be any number of things. 
Um, ultimately, the only thing to say about a relapse is it is a choice. You have a choice to relapse just as much as you have a choice to stay abstinent. How do you then feel if you've been living your everyday life getting the highs um, from your addiction to then removing the addiction? How does life feel then? How do you then notice the ups and downs of normal life? Do you feel that you're achieving successes when you are or do you always look for more? Um, It's a difficult question because a lot of people can cross-addict into other addictions following putting down one, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, initially, yes, life did seem quite boring because it wasn't the the white-knuckle roller coaster that it had been constantly day in, day out for several years. But to be honest, that soon became a welcome break. And I really actually started to enjoy just somewhat sense of normality although i don't really agree with the word normal in any respect um certainly a life without gambling soon became far more preferable than a life with and i would say right now that my worst day i could possibly have as a non-gambler is definitely a hundred times better than the best day i ever had as a gambler Amazing. Um, and are you familiar with the science research called Rat Park? Sorry, can you repeat that? Are you familiar with the research called Rat Park? Yes, I am familiar with Rat Park. Are you able to talk to us about that? <laughs> Rat Park, yes. <laughs> Um, Rat Park was basically uh, a scientific experiment. I don't know when it was done. Um, that Late basically it gave a load of rats in a cage everything they could possibly want to do um, to keep them happy. Um, obviously, to keep their dopamine releases strong. Um, and then they also, at the same time, were testing another load of rats in a cage with absolutely nothing um if i'm wrong now was it drug laced water yeah they had and both both cages had the drug water but in the really happy rat park place they went and took the normal water and didn't care for the drug water um and didn't when they did take the drug water they didn't withdraw from it in any way shape or form um, but in the other one, they became addicts. Am I right? Is that pretty much it? Yeah, but the reason why I'm asking you that is because you mentioned a couple of times about people being cross-addictions or cross-addicts, um, and I think that just that research brings to mind because I, I wonder if those people hadn't dealt with the underlying issues. Maybe they didn't have a rat park. Their life, whatever was going on in it, within their environment, was still not happy enough that the drug was still tempting whatever the drug was compared to people who then find meaning in other things and fill up their life like a rat park that then once they're off of their drug of choice they're then able to sustain recovery well i think the one thing that's interesting about like the rat park experiment does you know have some some very significant you know scientific kind of backing and and research that's come from it and i'm i'm not in any way taking away anything from that the one thing i would say about the rat park experiment is though is that it's essentially saying that where a person or where a rat i have to keep referring to them as rats where a rat has all this other stimulus it no longer feels the need for the drug-laced water and therefore isn't an addict. Well, my argument there would be that how do we know that that rat uh, doesn't have an underlying psychological issue, like you just spoke about, about the person, and in actual fact, all the happy things in Rat Park are acting as another form of addiction to take away from that particular rat talking, or sorry, or thinking about their underlying issue. So the park itself is in fact an addiction because all they did was give the rats 
loads of things that made them happy and kept them distracted. Interesting. So essentially speaking, all they've done is altered the state of the rat permanently, still. So I think the rat park experiment does... It does have uh, value and reference, certainly, to to modern-day humans. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that it tackles the underlying issues um, that, like, that exist psychologically beneath the, the problems of addiction. I really don't feel that it does actually tackle that. So, as a recovered addict of 10 years... Um, I'm going to correct you there. A recovering addict. Recovering, sorry. As a recovering addict of 10 years, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> How do you then navigate normal life as in, for example, wins and loses of money, like natural things that everybody has? How do you um, manage those situations without addiction being a problem anymore? Can I ask what natural cases you're referring to? Ups and downs, for example, wins of money, like having a tax rebate, or um, losses of money, like when something blows up in your house and you need to spend a lot of money on that. You know, things that you just can't predict. Okay. So you're asking me how does a non-gambler then deal with normal issues of money? Yeah. Basically just about the money, just... Uh, Well, with great difficulty in the first instance. Um, For a lot of people, it's very difficult because all, all the money I had, for example, was all gambling money. It was all money for outside entertainment. It was not money for day to day and for and for you know so called normal expenditure, normal life. So in the first hand, uh, yeah, with great difficulty, to be honest. Um, Wouldn't that be something that people would benefit from after recovery, like um, courses or something on how to manage finances? Uh, absolutely. In fact, I, I think the whole of the Western world could do with that class, probably been taught to them at school. But that wouldn't serve the marketing giants that like to extract money from you that well if they did that in school, if you think about it, because they kind of want us spending all our money. Yeah. That's a topic for another day, however, but just to put that out there. Yeah. It's very interesting, this whole conversation, actually, how much it does relate to the other stuff that I talk about with um, eating disorders, the media, and the industries that benefit from us. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm a big fan of the show, which is, you know, why I was quite happy to speak to you. Thank you. Um, So, coming to the end of the show now... What would you say has been like the biggest piece of, of advice that you've learned along the way that you've really held on to that you could maybe give to somebody else who might be listening now that could benefit from? In regards to not gambling? Yeah. Or even if it's not just yourself, but it could be someone listening who wants to help a family member or a friend. Um, you know what? Best piece of advice. I've been given so much. Um, but one of my favorites would be, um, no dough, can't bet. Basically the beauty of gambling is that if you haven't got money, nowhere's going to let you do it for nothing on credit. It's not going to happen. So if you don't have control of your own finances, if someone else has control of your money, family member, parent, whatever it might be, they've got all your bank cards, you can't get access to money easily, then you can't gamble. Really as simple as that. Now you might think, oh, I can't possibly 
give up my cards because, you know, I have to get the train to work every day and I have to buy lunch and I have to do X, Y, and Z. If you truly don't want to gamble, then you'll find a way around those things. For example, you'll take the money that you need for the train with you that morning and that's all the money you take. And you take packed lunch with you, not money for lunch. There's a million and one ways you can survive without a pound in your pocket. It's quite, quite easy if you put the diligence into thinking about how to do it. Um, that for me is kind of like an automatic win for not gambling, if you pardon the pun. Um, because it is as simple as no money can't do it. That's it. And if you were to talk to your former self, is there any advice that you would give yourself? Um, or anything that you would say to that person? No. Because things actually worked out okay in the end. So I think that I do actually generally believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, a future self telling my past self to stop doing it wouldn't work because I knew what I was like back then. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I'm afraid. And finally then, do you believe that your experiences, although you've had a lot of negative stuff happen and if you now believe that everything happens for a reason, do you think that, like on a positive, like this has all happened as a benefit to you now? Yes, it's definitely a benefit because I've gone on a personal journey of recovery and, 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 of, and of discovery that I've learned about myself and other people on a very quite deep spiritual level that I don't think I might have ever got to if I hadn't have actually quit quit doing what I was doing. Amazing. I 100% believe that as well. You have to have a breakdown to break through. And so it's our um, adversity that we go through that make us the better people at the end of it. Absolutely. Amazing. I really enjoyed our chat today. Yes, me too. Is there anything else that you want to say before you go? Mm -hmm. Nope, nothing at all. Generally a man of few words. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you've given me a few more than that. <laughs> If you've been affected by any of the topics discussed on today's show, there is actually a National Gambling Helpline which provides confidential advice, information and emotional support throughout Great Britain to anyone experiencing problems with gambling. So you can speak to an advisor on the free phone number 0808 8020133. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And I hope you will do the same next week on Tuesday, 1 till 3 p.m. on 91.8 Hayes FM. My special guest next week is Hope Virgo and we're going to talk about anorexia, her recovery and the work that she's been doing in the media. She's trying to raise awareness of GPs um, stigmatising people for not being thin enough, fat enough or not fitting the criteria of an eating disorder because eating disorders affect many people and you cannot see an eating disorder um, just based on somebody's weight. Hope also is an ambassador for the charity, the Shore Mind Foundation. The Shore Mind Foundation um, hopes to significantly reduce suicide across the world within 10 years. And they do that by developing innovative ways to support children and the next generation to flourish and cope with the emotional demands of modern day life.